We're going to turn to Ephesians for our reading this evening, and I'd like to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, and if somebody could tell me what page that is, that would be great. It is on the screen as well. anybody found it in the Bibles? 1177. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 from verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Hand over to H as we start a new series. Thanks. Well, the greatest trick the devil ever, ever pulled was to convince the world that he never existed. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was to convince the world that he never existed. There's a line from a movie from 1995, um, a movie called uh, The Usual Suspects. But the uh, writer of the movie was not original in the line. He had uh, taken it from a guy, uh, Charles Baudelaire, in uh, 1864, who had written a very similar sort of line. But Charles wasn't original uh, in that either, because in 1836, a guy by the name of John Wilkinson wrote this. One of the artifices of Satan is to induce men to believe that he does not exist. Another, perhaps equally fatal, is to make them fancy that he is obliged to stand quietly by and not to meddle with them if they get into true silence. We live in a, the Western world and uh, we are surrounded by rationalism and by science and there is no place for the devil in the rational world. There is no place for the devil in the scientific world. We can't measure it, we can't um, test it, we can't do any of the things that we would want to do. And so for much of the Western world, we live in that reality of thinking that the devil doesn't exist. Or at least even 
maybe we might say that, well, for some people and that's spiritual and whatever, it might be helpful for them to have this sort of framework. And in some way that provides them some sort of framework that makes life more uh, comfortable for them. But that's, that's just a, you know, a, 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 a helpful framework for them. But Paul says that we're in a battle. That we are in a battle as ambassadors. We've been talking for weeks now about being ambassadors of Christ. And Paul says in this chapter that he finds himself as an ambassador in chains. And he says we are in a battle. And it's not a battle about flesh and blood. It's not holy wars and uh, crusades. He said our battle is against spiritual forces. Against evil and wickedness in high places. Against powers and principalities. That's what our battle is against and with. The battle is very real. And because of the reality of that battle, we need protection. We need to be protected and to live in a way that recognizes spiritually that there is this battle that's raging. You know... um, as we've been talking sort of about being ambassadors, uh, I don't, you don't often think about ambassadors as um, being people that uh, need um, sort of armor and clothing like uh, we get described here by Paul. <laughs> um, in fact, I, I often think of, uh, you know, when I think of ambassadors and embassies, I always think that's the safe place to go. When I'm traveling and I'm in, in a country, you know, sort of Away from things, I home. I usually uh, check out and make sure I know where. Well, because I, I where the American embassy is and where the Canadian embassy is, because I know if I can show up at either the American embassy or the Canadian embassy, it's going to be okay. Like if things go really bad, if I get really sick, all sorts of things, that's where I'll show up because that's it's a safe place. But it's safe for a reason, isn't it? It's safe because, first of all, the country recognizes that it's not really theirs. They 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 say, you know. That sort of whoever's embassy it is, they get to treat it as if it's their own country. But you know what? In every embassy, there's also a security detail. There are people there that are there to provide security because in, in times when conflict begins to come, often conflict first arises at people's embassies. Crowds begin to form around in protest and things happen around embassies that, um, and there's protests that go, I was just driving, I was on the number nine bus the other day and there were crowds outside of an embassy beginning to protest. And, and I had this sort of reality of that a number of years ago brought to mind. I was getting ready to go to East Africa and um, the gal who cut my hair, um, that did my hair regularly, she, um, she, her, she had lived in East Africa. She had spent a lot of time growing up in East Africa and um, and so I'd been before and we were just talking and she asked me about my travel plans and I was talking through that and, and I mentioned a country that I was just going to be in sort of just to transfer planes and uh, she said, oh, you really need to go and visit sometime. You need to take time to go and, you know, spend more time and she's saying it's a beautiful city but she goes, you know, right at that point in time there was a lot of tension going on between uh, the, the, and some things in the country there and the U.S. and, and, and whatnot and she said... Um, she said, but you know, uh, if, if I would suggest if you get a chance to go, after, if you leave the city center, things could get a little dicey, you know, could be a little in, unstable. So she said, but here's what you do. Because she'd grown up around embassies. Her dad was in, in, in the intelligence uh, world. 
And uh, she said, here's what you do. Just contact the embassy and ask, ask if one of the U.S. Marines on one of their day off would be willing to take you around. She said, because they're usually bored and they sort of don't have much to do, and they would love to take you around. And I was thinking, what an awesome thing. Can you imagine just showing up and going, yeah, I've got my Marine right here, uh, you know, just wherever I want to go. She said, that just they'd be happy to do that. You know, to buy them a nice dinner and beer or something like that, and they'll, they'd go do anything for you. I'm like, wow, that's really awesome. That's great. Why? Because in every embassy, there's a security detail. For Americans, there's U.S. Marine Corps folks in every embassy. They're serious people. <laughs> and Paul says to us, guess what? We're in a battle. We're in a battle, a spiritual battle. And in the same way that every ambassador and every embassy would have a security detail, Paul says to us, we need to be secure as well. Because the battle is real and there are real forces out there that want to see our destruction. And so he goes into this explanation about the armor of God. And we're going to be talking about this sort of clothed with power. It's sort of the idea of the, that we've been clothed with power through Pentecost and the power of the Spirit. And part of that clothing of power is that we are supposed to take on the armor of God. And tonight we're talking particularly about the belt of truth. And uh, so the first thing that, that Paul mentions here as he begins this is to say that we need to take up the belt of truth. Now, he's not talking like this kind of belt. I mean, this can be a belt of truth. Um, if I, like, I noticed the other day, you know, I, the, the scale kept saying I was, it was going up. The numbers were going up, but I really wasn't sure if the scale was accurate or not. But then I put on the belt of truth, and I had to move it down a notch. I know that's not the kind of belt of truth that Paul's talking about here. Paul, when Paul talks about, Paul's talking about the, the belt that a Roman soldier would wear. And, and Paul had a lot of experience with Roman soldiers. He was arrested on many occasions and in jail many times. And so he had had a lot of time to sort of study what Roman soldiers wore. But in particular, the belt that the Roman soldiers wore was, um, as I said, it's not, not this kind of belt. I mean, obviously it, it had a, a utilitarian purpose to it partially. It held a sword and they could, you know, attach other things to their belt. So it had this sort of utility to it. But if you picture uh, what a Roman soldier looks like and their belt, it's much more than that. Because a Roman soldier's belt was sort of this wide, thick piece of leather, and it also had leather straps that come down the front and often had sort of medallions placed upon it all over it and, and around the sides and, and about it. So it was not just sort of uh, even just something to attach itself to. It sort of became this, it, had, it, had, it meant more than that. In fact, interestingly enough, the belt for a Roman soldier was actually their symbol of authority. You see, the Roman soldier didn't always wear their helmet. They didn't always have their breast, breastplate on. They didn't always have their sword at their side. But you know what? A Roman soldier, even when they were off duty, almost always had their belt around them. In fact, there was a rule in that, that uh, first of all, nobody else uh, was able to wear uh, this, a belt like the Roman soldiers wore. Unless you were a soldier, you didn't get to wear that. 
Nobody else had a belt like that. And nobody could separate a Roman soldier from their belt. You couldn't, they could strip them from everything else, but they could not strip their belt away from them because it was a sign and a mark that they were there as the authority of Rome. And so it was symbolic for them as well. And that's why they think that they were adorned with sort of all these medallions and things because they would put, put different things and different markers on there from different places they had been and all that sort of thing because that belt meant more than just a utilitarian purpose. It actually was about their identity, about who they were. And it communicated to everyone they were, even if they weren't in their full dress, it communicated to everyone that they were a soldier of Rome. And so Paul says, what we need to do first is take up the belt of truth. Now, what, what does he mean by that? I mean, there's, there's obviously, we could talk for a bit about the belt of truth representing in some ways that we just need to be, we're called to be people of truth, people that speak truth and live truth. And, and I think that's, that's there as well. But I, I think even more significantly in Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, because this comes, we're coming to the close of the letter to the Ephesians here. Um, and if we go back and if we connect back with the rest of the book of Ephesians, Paul is very clear and articulate throughout the book of Ephesians about us as followers of Jesus knowing and understanding who God is and what God has done for us. And I think the truth that he's trying to relate us to here in talking about the belt of truth is to help us to identify and understand and say the truth. What we need to gird our loins with is the truth of who God is and who God's called us to be and who he's created us to be. And I'd love to just um, walk for a few minutes very quickly um, through uh, some of the opening uh, chapters, the opening parts of the book of Ephesians, because I think it will help us give a picture from Paul's mind and his understanding of what he means and what he's thinking of when he talks to us about this truth. So um, if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn, what was it, 1177, I think it was, or something like that. So turn back like two pages probably, somewhere around in there, um, if you want to turn in your Bibles. But we're... Um, we're going to look first at uh, Ephesians 1, chapter 18, oh, sorry, chapter 1, verse 18, Ephesians 1, 18. And let's just listen to a little bit about the truth of who it is that we serve, the truth about who God is as Paul presents us in Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. His incomparably great power. The God that we serve, the God that we serve is a God of incomparable power. <laughs> How much power? Incomparable power. Paul says we can't fully understand and, and, and recognize the power of God because his power is not just, it's not just a great power. His power is incomparable. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. 
The power of God is what raised Christ Jesus from the dead. But it's not that he just raised Jesus from the dead. It says, when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms. Just a few days ago, just before Pentecost, we uh, remembered and celebrated Ascension Day when Jesus was taken back into heaven. And so Paul's saying, it's not just that God had the power to raise Jesus from the dead, but he took Jesus from the dead and a few days later, then he raised him up and sat him back down at his own right hand. That's the kind of power that God has. So he's seated at, uh, at the, his right hand in heavenly realms. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So what, who is, Jesus has been given all authority to rule and power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Does that remind you of anything of what Paul says at the end? That we wrestle not against powers and principalities, or against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and forces of darkness and in high places. And, but Paul began by saying Jesus God's power raised Jesus up and seated him at his right hand, which is above what? Every power, every principality, every name, everything that has been or will come in this age or in the age to come. That's the kind of power and that's the kind of authority that God has and that Jesus has been given. Verse 22, and God placed all things under his feet. Which things? All things and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. I remember uh, when I was taking an exam for, um, to become uh, ordained, uh, Matt probably took the same exam. One of the questions on there was, who is the head of the church? It's a really easy question on one hand, but as an Anglican, it could be a bit complex. I remember reading the question and going, I know the answer is Jesus. I know that Jesus is the head of the church, but then I know we also have bishops and we, you know, and if if you're England, you have the queen and, you know, you've got archbishops and things. So I covered all my bases. I said, Jesus is the head of the church, but in the Anglican world, we also have bishops and archbishops and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is Jesus. Jesus is the head over everything for the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's pretty complete, isn't it? That's what the belt represents, the truth of who God is and who Jesus is, filling everything in every way. Well, Paul also in this context speaks over and over again about who we are in Christ Jesus. And uh, if you jump back to uh, verse 3 of Ephesians 1, we'll, we'll start there and read just a few lines here from this as well. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So who are we? We are blessed. And we're blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us. You are chosen. We are chosen. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's part of your identity is to be holy and blameless. 
In love, he predestined us for adoption. You've been adopted. Adopted to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given to us. He's just poured out grace to us freely. That's who you are, the recipient of God's free grace. In him, we have redemption. You've been redeemed by his blood. The forgiveness of sins. Your sins have been forgiven and washed away in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And I love this line that he lavished on us. God lavishes his grace on you. That's who you are. You're someone who God lavishes his grace upon. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Well, I could keep going, but I'm going to skip down to chapter 2, verse 4, and pick up there. But because of his great love for us, because of God's great love for you, God, who is rich in mercy, made you alive with Christ even as we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved and God raised us up with Christ. It's not only Christ who's been raised up but we have been raised up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, for it is the gift of God. You are recipients of God's gift. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You're God's handiwork. You are God's handiwork. He's created you. He's created you for a purpose, to do good works that he actually had in mind long before you ever came into existence. That's the truth. Paul's talking about. Talking about girding our loins and taking it around ourselves and wrapping ourselves in that truth. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to stand. I know this could, it won't be too embarrassing, I trust me. <laughs> and if you really don't want to, you don't have to. But I just, I'd love for a minute to just imagine with me that you've got a belt in front of you. Not this kind of belt. I'm talking about a big, thick leather belt with big straps hanging off it and with sort of medallions all aligning it. A heavy belt. And that belt represents your identity of who you are and the one you serve. It's a sign and a marker of the one who you serve. 
and about your call. It's a sign and a marker that God the Father raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the right hand of he- in, hem- in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked not only in this present age, but also in the age to come. That's what it represents. That's the authority and that's the power it represents. The one who is seated above every other authority in heaven and on earth, in this age and in the age to come. That's the kind of representation that belt has. Now imagine imagine taking that belt and beginning to wrap it around yourself. Putting it on and strapping it on. Now, would you say these words with me? I am God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for me to do. When you put that belt around you, that's what else it symbolizes. It's what else it communicates. It's what else it reminds you that you are God's handiwork. Can you imagine that? I mean, it might be heavy, but you know, there's some things that you put on that are heavy, but they don't weigh you down. They sort of put you up. Imagine strapping that belt around your waist. And it doesn't weigh you down. It, It sort of forces your shoulders back and puts you back and says, wait a minute. The truth is that I am an ambassador of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The truth is that the one who is above every power and every dominion, that's the one who I serve. And I come in his name. And not only that, but he knows me. He created me, he formed me, and he has a purpose for me. And it's to do good things. Things that he has planned for a long time. That's the truth. That's what we gird around ourselves. That's what we wrap ourselves with. That's the truth of the God that you serve, and that's the truth of what he's done for you. And so tonight, I just want to say, gird yourself with the belt of truth, with that reality. And may you know God's strength. I also just want to encourage you this week that as we are going to spend the next few weeks in in this passage here in Ephesians and talk about the armor of God, we will come a much fuller understanding of the armor of God if we spend a little bit of time in the book of Ephesians leading up to it. Because this is Paul's conclusion, just as he's wrapping up the book. It's the conclusion, the the obvious conclusion to the things that he's been saying all the way through. So I just want to invite you. It's like six chapters. It's like five pages probably in your Bible. Maybe take a chapter a day or something over this next week and read through the book of Ephesians and let that take root and take heart in you about who God is and what he's done in you and through you. Amen.